<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to our program. On the line with us, Congressman Ro Khanna of Silicon Valley area of California, representing the 17th District of California in the U.S. House of Representatives, vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. We're going to do a national progressive town hall meeting here, and you can tweet him at Rep. Ro, R-O, Rep. Ro Khanna. And Congressman Khanna, welcome back. Before we pick up phone calls here, I'm just curious what's at the top of your list of things that you wanted to be sure to share with our listeners today or the things that you're really paying attention to that are going on politically or in the world. Well, Tom, uh, we had a press conference, the Progressive Caucus members did, with uh, Reverend Barber, uh, Richard Trumka, president of the AFL-CIO, Mary K. Henry, president of SCIU, and a lot of the tip workers groups saying we have to get a $15 wage by the end of the year, that it needs to be in reconciliation, it needs to be in must-pass legislation. And I thought it was powerful. We had almost 20 members on the call. Mark Pocan, who's a frequent guest, was one of the co-conveners. So that is a huge priority for us. And then many of us have been talking to the White House this week about what is the path forward on that? What is the path forward on infrastructure? Let's not wait with the chimera of trying to get Republican support. Let's move forward on our agenda. There you go. Okay, so let's pick up some phone calls here. TJ in Newark, New Jersey, you are on the air with Representative Khanna. I have a kind of a weird question because I've noticed that in certain states there was a huge jump in pneumonia-related deaths, but had relatively low COVID-19 related deaths. Do you think that there's some states that are hiding COVID deaths behind pneumonia? That's interesting, TJ. I don't know. I don't rule out the possibility. I mean, there have been issues of data integrity in a number of states. There's also the, the possibility that we don't know inaccurately diagnosing COVID. You know, the testing isn't uniform and we may be not diagnosing it in all cases. But it's an interesting issue. Uh, no one has raised it with me before, and I'm happy to, to look into it. I appreciate you raising it. Miami, Florida. Charles, you're on the air with uh, Congressman Connor. Okay. Um, how you doing, Representative Connor? Hi, Charles. Hi, and, and good afternoon, Tom. I live here in Miami, Florida. And I'm very offended by what this governor has done by letting people in and just jeopardizing this country again with another surge of COVID. And I was just wondering, is there any way that you guys can um, try to, um, what is it when, um, when you put those people in the quarantine? All the people that's coming back for spring break, could you set up some type of quarantine? 
Could you set up some type of way that you can look at the manifest on the airlines and, you know, any other form of transportation and let's quarantine these people or, you know, just to show these governors that we're not playing with them. Why don't you shut the country down for two weeks? Because I'm looking at the BBC and they're shutting down France and other parts of Europe because COVID is out of control, especially this time of year. And I'll take my answer off the line. Thank you, sir. Well, I share your frustration. I mean, we're in a race against the variants. We've had about 20% of the country vaccinated. I've had family of mine who haven't been vaccinated yet. And it is totally irresponsible to be lifting these restrictions when we're a few months away. If we just wait a few months, we would be able to vaccinate the country and there'd be far less risk. And I was reading this morning in Michigan, I mean, kids are getting it between the ages of 10 and 19, and they're not out of the woods. There's a very dangerous syndrome uh, that's unlikely, but that they can get. So we need to be careful. We need to have the restrictions until we reach the 70, 80 percent vaccination threshold. Ron in Dallas, Texas, you're on the air with Ro Khanna, Congressman Ro Khanna. My question is related to the COBRA provision in the COVID relief bill that just recently passed. I called the COBRA office to find out about eligibility. They told me that if you were laid off in past months, you would need to make up all the back premiums in order to take advantage of the supplement from April to September that's part of the bill. And that seemed kind of counterintuitive to me because if you couldn't afford the premium in 2020, then how could you afford to pay the back premiums now? So I just wanted to see what your understanding of it was. Ron, thanks for raising that. I did not know that that is the interpretation, that even to get the subsidy, that shouldn't be the case that they're requiring a collection of back payment. But it it highlights the problem of COBRA. COBRA is a horrible way of treating folks who lose their jobs. It's expensive. It goes to the private insurance. It would have been far better to expand Medicare. But at the very least, we should honor what the Congress did, and that is to make it subsidized and not demand back payments as a condition of uh, getting that subsidy. So you should contact your member of Congress, and I will look here as a a policy matter uh, if there's anything that could be done. Martin in Schenectady, New York, here on the air with Congressman Connor. Congressman, have you ever heard of a term called fallacious reasoning and emotional appeal? I have just heard of the terms, yes. Yes, uh, I learned about it when I was attending the Air Force Officer Training School back in 1979, but I'm sure they teach it. And what it does is it helps the officers or potential officers try to filter through lines of BS that their subordinates may uh, try to pull over them to get them to make a decision. In other words, it's part of the decision-making training you, you get at officer training school. And I'm, I'm sure all the other services offer it as well. But if you could get more information about that out to the general public who have to make decisions about who they should vote for and so forth, I think we'd be a lot better off. And I think it may be something that you might be able to get through the Freedom of Information Act. That's all I have. Martin, it's a good idea. At the very least, maybe there could be things we learn from that that could be part of our educational curriculum. You know, Finland has a entire course on digital literacy, so teaching people about what is newsworthy and what is false and how to sort through it. And they have been one of the societies least susceptible to the spread of misinformation. So what you suggested maybe one avenue of a broader program for greater digital literacy, greater literacy in this country about information. 
Any chance of bringing back civics education as something that's essentially required in at least elementary and secondary school? I'm a proponent of that, both because we need to understand our history and because we need to understand critical thinking as citizens so that you're not in a QAnon group or not in a, uh, in a social media bubble without being able to question things. So I think the country desperately needs it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with your congressman. Tom, thank you so much. I'm on my morning walk. I'm doing three miles a day, and you saved my life. But I wanted to ask uh, Rep. Khan a question. Color me stupid. I thought that Moffett Field was in your district, but I guess it's the uh, Anna's district. At any rate, she echoed the sentiments that you did last week, and I thought that was wonderful. The reason I mentioned that, though, was because last time they did that in the community that I lived in, they threw stones at the buses of the kids, and it scared them. And I remember how terrible I felt. Anyway, I called to ask, why can't I get the vaccine? I'm walking in your district, and everywhere I look on the computer, on my phone, there's nothing available in the Bay Area. Everything is available in Sacramento, Los Angeles, the Central Valley. I wanted to suggest that our CFO, Dr. Smith, is trying to fast insurance companies because he doesn't want to pay the fee to Blue Cross to administer vaccines that we're already administering here on the floor. In the county, we're giving shots every day, and there's access, but we can't get it out to the public. I don't know why. Maybe you could look into it, find out. It's terrible that we have to wait. I was approved on Monday because of my previous existing condition, but no one around. I don't want to drive 500 miles to go get a shot. Do you know why that is? Joe, I appreciate it. Uh, You're right to voice frustration. Santa Clara County hasn't gotten enough vaccines. It's a frustration that I think many have. In fact, I'm on the websites uh, every day trying to to sign my wife up, and and it all gets uh, uh, filled up. But the challenge is uh, we have to get more vaccines, and we're we're, uh, pushing hard to get more vaccines, too. Santa Clara County and Alameda County, there's a massive shortage of allocation of the supply. To your other point, I'm glad that the administration is now not going to use Moffitt Field without the, the safeguards of chil- house, housing children with human rights. I was happy. I said, and Anna Eshoo said, we're happy to have them. We'd welcome them, but not if they're not going to have food, not if they're not going to have uh, sanitation and an access to lawyers. And next thing we know, the administration is considering somewhere else. So we were made it very clear that human rights have to be upheld if they're going to be housed in our district. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Congressman Khanna, Tom was talking yesterday about how the airlines have received COVID relief equaling $600,000 for every job they retained, yet up until this week they they had still been threatening mass layoffs. It's also an industry highly dependent on fossil fuels, so I think it's high time we were offered a viable alternative for domestic travel. In my opinion, that would be national electrified high-speed trains. Congressman, do you know of any plans or legislation that would give President Biden, Amtrak Joe, the chance to do for trains what Eisenhower did for cars in building the interstate highway system. You know, Japan, Europe, uh, and now China have been doing it like crazy uh, for decades. Isn't it past time um, for America to join the 21st century with high-speed rail? Thank you, Congressman. Jeff, you very eloquently said, um, California, as you know, is the one state that has been trying it, and and we've made some progress from Merced to Bakersfield. We're now going to have the resources to extend that uh, to, to the Bay Area. But we need to do this around the country. I mean, it is an investment that is energy efficient, and it's an investment that's uh, uh, about our future. And I strongly support uh, putting it in Build Back Better. 
Louise in Seattle, you are on the air with Congressman Kona. Gentlemen, it seems none of us are in jail or in the hospital yet, so that's good. It's a good sign. And a question, if these corporations are supposed to be persons of any kind, in addition to their corporate obligations, why are they not paying the same rate of personal income tax as you and me? <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question in terms of the legal uh, foundation. I mean, obviously, the law has made a, an exception, like we've had a, a lower capital gains tax. I, I don't believe that the capital gains tax should be lower than ordinary income. But we need to raise the corporate tax rate. But more than raising the corporate tax rate, uh, which I think we will do in the next plan, the critical thing is to enforce it. I mean, Amazon is paying 0% tax, and they move their money overseas, or they hide some of their assets, or they take huge deductions. And so there ought to be be a minimum tax that these global corporations pay, and that's something that we're working on. Marcy in New Mexico. Marcy, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hello. Uh, I know that the Congressman sponsored, or was trying to sponsor a legislation last summer to pause the ICBM program. I'm very, very concerned about nuclear weapons, especially since right outside my window I can see Los Alamos, where they're building a whole new bomb factory, that, again, without an, an environmental impact study, on an earthquake fault, in uh, where we have terrible fire seasons, and it's extremely dangerous. But I'd love, and I'd love to stop the bomb factory. But meanwhile, I was wondering what you're doing now and what you can do to oppose and halt uh, this nuclear weapons program. Well, Marcia, I appreciate the question. Senator Markey and I will be introducing legislation to say we should not be buying new uh, systems of ICBMs. I mean, it's one thing if we want to modernize the ICBMs to make sure that they're still functional, but the ICBMs are... One, the the greatest risk to accidental nuclear war, according to uh, people like Bill Perry and Sam Dunn, because once you authorize their launch, you can't take it back. Two, they're the most vulnerable to attack. Uh, You can take out an ICBM in a much easier way than you could take out a a naval submarine or uh, or an airplane. And so we're not saying even uh, to to dismantle them. We're saying don't have uh, put, put... uh, hundreds of billions of more dollars into a new system of ICBMs uh, when it's an, uh, not strategic and when it risks ask, accidental nuclear war. It's an uphill battle, honestly, in Congress, because uh, they, they try to label you soft on defense, uh, but it is actually the smart policy, and we're going to continue to push. Congressman, 30 seconds. Um, what are your thoughts on nuclear policy with regard to China, Russia? I mean, do we, do we need new treaties? We do. We do. And we, we ought to do what Obama started but never finished, which is say we are not a first strike state. We, we, we won't use nuclear weapons offensively. And then we ought to sit down with the Russians and Chinese and negotiate arms control agreements uh, the way past presidents have negotiated. Yeah, it just makes makes perfect sense. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us for the hour, taking your calls, a National Progressive Town Hall meeting. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Khanna. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama, you are on the air with Representative Khanna. Um, good afternoon. Um, good morning. Um, Representative Khanna, um, I have been watching all of these posts and um, news reports of the fact that GM is going to stop making gas cars in 2035. They're only going to make electric. This is also happening in other countries, particularly Japan. 
And I've been thinking about the drain on the electric system here in the United States as a larger number of people need to recharge an electric car. Well, the other day I got a post with a picture of a car that has attached an alternator to the drive wheel so that it automatically charges his batteries. And so, therefore, he does not have to pay for electricity to charge his car. He is essentially driving free. So if we can have the auto industry, we could force them to put seatbelts in a car. Can, is there any way to, to start looking at forcing them to put an alternator on the car when it is manufactured that will automatically charge the batteries? Because uh, can California's population charge their all If all of them have electric cars, can California charge them without a brownout? We cannot use the existing antiquated structure that we have today to charge everybody's cars, trucks, or whatever. So is this is a long-term thing, I realize, but can't we even start looking at making sure that new electric cars can charge themselves? Norm, it's a great idea. I'm happy as the chair of the Environment Subcommittee at Oversight, we're going to be having hearings on these issues. One of the issues with the batteries is lithium-ion batteries. We have a shortage in the United States, so we don't even have enough batteries for the electric vehicles. But you raise a good point that if we could first solve the shortage problem and we get enough batteries, then how do we charge all these electric vehicles without putting too much pressure on our existing electricity supply uh, while we don't have enough solar and wind to power everything? And uh, I'm happy to look at what we could do to incentivize more cars to be able to charge themselves it's a very uh, thoughtful suggestion. Mary in Waterloo, Iowa, you are on the air with Representative Kana. Yes. I am retired. And when I retired, my lawyer put my house in a trust. And I also have a rental property to help with my income, which is in a trust. But I don't file under a trust. I file under my name. And because my house is in a trust, I'm not able to get the stimulus. But my income is way below Mary, that's um, really uh, sad and disappointing to hear. Uh, Please contact your member of Congress. uh, And if you don't, please contact us. You can go to our website, uh, rocana.com or uh, our our House website, and uh, we will try to help you and put you in touch with your member of Congress. But you should be getting the, the stimulus check. Congressman, the the reason why so many uh, seniors are putting their homes in trusts is because uh, two years after that, under federal law, with regard to Medicaid, if they need a long-term nursing home, yeah, you, you can't get Medicaid to pay for a nursing home unless you're broke. Basically, you've got to yeah. be, you know, you got to have a net worth of almost nothing. So people put their homes in these trusts so that they can go to their, you know, they be, essentially become the property of their children, so that they will qualify for Medicaid in the event that they need a nursing home. Can't we just change the Medicaid requirements? Isn't that isn't that uh so sad that in this country we don't have long-term care covered by Medicare, which is obviously what the Medicare for All bill does. But in the absence of doing that, I do think you're right that we can at least change the Medicaid requirements so that if you are a senior who needs long-term care, uh, that uh, we don't require you to go basically bankrupt before we uh, treat you with basic dignity. And so I, I, I think, actually, Tom, that's a great idea to look into. Uh, we, we need to have long-term care covered by Medicare for all, but in the interim, can't we at least make that change? 
Yeah, amen. Joe in Tucson, Arizona. Joe, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Well, I wanted to find out when the Social Security recipients are going to start getting their stimulus. And I'd also like to ask the congressman, is there a way for people who do not abide by the protocols or get the vaccine when eligible to exempt insurance companies and the government from paying for their medical expenses? Joe, uh, on the first question, you should be getting your checks any day. I mean, the uh, checks have started to go out. They've been hitting direct deposits. Uh, if you don't get it, please contact your member of Congress. But the, uh, the, the checks are uh, being administered as we speak. Uh, on the second question, you know, the irony is that even the members of Congress, uh, they're about 20 to 30 percent, mostly Republican, basically, who haven't gotten the vaccine. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's absurd. It's wrong. I don't think we can deny uh, health care coverage in that case. Uh, but I do think that uh, uh, we need to do better in our outreach and, and, and get uh, people, uh, certainly employers and schools in certain cases can require it, uh, and have an effort to, to, to explain why uh, not doing the vaccine is a, is a selfish choice. Becky in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, thank you, uh, Representative Kana. I'm calling about the homeless problem in California, and um, we have the highest homeless in the nation, over 160,000. I see more tents on the sidewalk every day. This last year, it's increased at least twice as much as previous. And can we get a federal effort in the state to get housing built for homeless people. Hey, you're absolutely right. It was a heartbreaking case. I don't know if you read about uh, the driver who, who was un, under the influence and, and killed uh, a number of homeless individuals because the car went on the sidewalk where uh, they were sleeping. It is a, uh, a moral issue. It is a huge issue for California. We need to get more funding, and Elizabeth Warren has a bill with Cedric Richmond when he was in the House to provide the grants to states uh, that would allow for the building of housing. But we also need a change in the zoning laws. A lot of the uh, cities and uh, uh, other areas in California need to allow for the building of more affordable housing uh, and not be as restrictive in their zoning laws. Those are the two things that are necessary to try to solve uh, the homeless problem. Dave in West Palm Beach, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Congressman, thank you for taking my call. My question is, I'm in Florida. We passed this past election 61 to 39 percent, a $15 an hour minimum wage as a constitutional amendment cannot be taken away by a Republican legislature. And we're a red state. Why haven't more blue states enacted a $15 an hour minimum wage, being that we're the only state in the country that now has that? And we basically passed Bernie's plan. We go, we gradually go up to $15 an hour over the next five years. That's great, and I appreciate that. California has a $15 wage as well that gradually will go up to $15. But I think what it shows in Florida is when you put the question to voters and you bypass all the lobbyists and special interests and legislatures, uh, then it passes. And somehow what we need to do is translate that popular support, the energy that we saw in states like Florida, 
uh, to Congress. And that's why this morning we had this press conference saying this is something people demand. We need the $15 wage. We're not going anywhere. We need to get this done. Lynn in St. Paul, Minnesota, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. We just have a little over a minute to the break. Okay. Hi. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk about what you had mentioned about a month ago about um, if you want to lift up the society, you need to educate girls. And um, to do that, we need to um, pursue women's issues and um, vote for women candidates. Um, Planned Parenthood lost their, well, Trump uh, reinstituted the gay girl, which lost a whole lot of money for Planned Parenthood. There was only one um, sentence that I heard in the debates, and it was that women should have the right to choose. Uh, <clears throat> to me, this is... Um, the, um, I'm sorry. Um, to me, this is a sign that we're not talking about these important issues. Um, Lynn, Lynn thank do. you very much. Congressman, if you if you want to speak to that when we come back from the break, uh, we'll, sure. we'll just bring this up. Women's issues. It's also International Women's Month, I believe. Women's History Month, I, I stand corrected. Jonathan in Portland, you're on the air with Congressman Conant. Hi, Congressman Conant. I wanted to know if you've spoken at all with uh, Taiwan's digital minister, Audrey Tang. T Taiwan, I believe, has the world's most innovative model for democracy. It's a cure for government gridlock. It's a cure for the divisiveness that's caused by social media. It uses artificial intelligence and a platform called Polis to find hidden consensus. And it's not just consensus, but the hidden consensus that really drives the government forward and creates these virtual town halls where people can participate. And I uh, want to know if you've heard of that, if you're doing anything about it. There's governments all over the world that are adopting these things. Well, I'm uh, impressed by your knowledge. I'm actually, as Tom knows, writing a book, uh, Dignity in the Digital Age, and I talk about uh, Audrey Tang's uh, use of uh, uh, technology that you describe very accurately to have deliberative democracy. And if you permit me just a one-minute digression, I sent it to Jürgen Habermas, who's uh, endorsed the idea of the book. And Habermas is one of the, basically the founder of deliberative democratic theory and found these type of uh, ideas are very interesting. So I haven't reached out to Audrey Tang, but it's a great idea. I should actually probably reach out to her. But you're absolutely right that they're doing incredibly innovative things. And it shows that you can use technology platforms to foster consensus and rational exchange and not just to have uh, policy polarization. Louise, in Seattle, Washington, you're on the air with Senator, uh, Congressman Kana. Yes, thank you very much for re putting me back in the line. I really appreciate it. Um, last night, well, I want to bring up a, a, an issue that's not on the minds of most uh, Americans, but last night I attended a webinar featuring uh, Daniel Ellsberg. And he said he had been in deep despair about curbing nuclear weapons until literally just a couple of days ago when he saw an article written by William Hartung, head of the Senator, Center for uh, International Policy. And the title of this article is Inside the ICBM Lobby, Special Interests or the National Interest. And Hartung points out that not only the United States, but the world is in greater danger with these land-based nuclear weapons because they're on hair trigger alert. Meaning Louise, that, what's your question? Um, the question is, 
does, uh, what does uh, Representative Kana believe about this program of replacing the um, ICBMs? Is it? Okay, thank you. Louise, one, you're absolutely right. I mean, I am leading the bill with Senator Ed Markey to say that we should not be uh, getting the uh, new ICBM uh, technology as part of a nuclear modernization, that uh, ICBMs are the biggest threat to an accidental nuclear war, and they're the most susceptible to being taken out. And we, it's one thing to make sure that we're keep, keeping them uh, in a form that's functioning. It's a totally another thing to, to be investing in new ICBMs. It's, it's a difficult position to take because people try to caricature it as soft on defense. Uh, it's not. Uh, the, we still have a, a very strong deterrent, and, and the submarine deterrent and air deterrent is actually more effective. Congressman, what should we be looking at in the coming weeks? Well, we're next going to go into infrastructure, which is going to be critical. Uh, I believe, as the Progressive Caucus does, that we need to go big, that uh, we shouldn't be looking for these phantom 10 Republican votes. We should have learned the lesson from the COVID relief bill. Now, if they support it, great, but let's do what's necessary for the country in terms of the modern infrastructure on the smart grid, on renewable energy, uh, on roads, bridges, airports, broadband, and rebuild this country as President Biden envisioned. Sounds like a plan. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's always great having you with Thank us. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Congressman Ro Khanna. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Ro Khanna. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Congressman Mark Pocan is back with us. Represents the uh, second district of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's the former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, now a member of that caucus, and and a whole bunch of uh, important committees and subcommittees in the House of Representatives. Pocan, in fact, I should have a list of them right here. Uh, we'll have to get that. Pocan.house.gov is his website, and Rep. Mark Pocan is his Twitter handle. And Congressman, welcome back to the program. What's at the top of your list of things that you want to share with people and, and that are among your concerns today? You know, uh, two things. I, I spent an hour and 15 minutes, uh, five of us from the Progressive Caucus today with Ron Klain at the White House, um, the chief of staff, to talk about path forward on minimum wage as well as uh, a number of other progressive issues. And it was a, a very good conversation we had. And I feel, you know, as someone who was a strong Bernie supporter and traveled the country for Bernie last year, I, I've been very uh, pleasantly surprised at the swiftness and the actions of the Biden administration so far. I think one of the things that we all realize is people have no idea the depth of the bill we passed last week and how much good that that's going to do. And I think we're going to have to really work on a campaign. This is also from a call I had with Bernie um, and a number of us on the Progressive Caucus uh, earlier this week. There's so much that we have to let people know that was in that bill. It's not just the checks that people got, but it's things like the child tax credit that we've worked on for decades that we have in place through uh, the COVID uh, and so many other measures that are important dealing with poverty. And you know, this is the opposite of what the Republicans did with their big tax bill, where two trillion went to the top. You know, eighty-three percent of the money went to the top one percent. This. Uh, is the vast majority of support went to real people who are hurting through COVID. And I just think, you know, we need to get out what Democrats have done when you have a Democratic House, Senate, and President. Um, you really can impact people's lives in a positive and substantial way. Yeah, and, and you guys are and have. Um, I, by the way, I should have mentioned when I first introduced you, you are with us for the entire hour taking calls at 202-808-9925, and the lines are filling up. Do you want to just jump right to the calls, or is there anything else that you wanted to share or that you're working on that you think uh, people need to know about right off the top? No, I, I think let's just go ahead and jump because, uh, you know, there will be an infrastructure bill, big one coming in the next month or two and some other things, but I'm sure that will come up through the calls. So let's go ahead and okay. listen to your folks there. All right. Let's go for it. Morris listening on KPFK in Long Beach, California. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. Listen, the stimulus money, how do we get this money to the people living under the freeways and living in tents? Uh, do, you got, do you have to have good credit with the government? Uh, do you got to have a uh, uh, current uh, good taxes with the government? Uh, is that a prerequisite, uh, Congressman, for, for getting this stimulus money? Because nobody needs it more than people living under freeways and whatnot. You know, we call them the uh, uh, throwaway people. Are throwaway people eligible for this stimulus money? I'll take your comments off yeah. here. Thank you, John. You know, Morris, great point. And, you know, as you can imagine, also some of those things are going to be harder to how you would uh, get them done. So the good news is I believe I was told today something like 75 million people probably got their checks um, deposited. So it's uh, getting that money out to stimulate the economy right now to help people survive through these really tough times. But there are some prerequisites in order to be able to get that money. And, and we did broaden that in this bill compared to a lot of the things that we've been able to do in the past. But the other thing that will impact more people, including people that might otherwise be left out on the uh, the direct support is the money that went to things like state and local governments um, that are providing have been providing these services for the last year you know this is something we try to get done for a year to get money out there and the republicans wouldn't do it now we have real money my state of wisconsin i think between local and state government it's something like 5.7 billion dollars 
getting out uh, to help people very directly, and that will have a direct effect on people that otherwise may um, have uh, get, get missed on the direct support. But also who just need the support, you know, people who are uh, in a rent crisis, people who are essential workers, small business owners, targeted industries. You know, for the first time, we're directly helping restaurants and bars and um, some of the bigger venues that people have been deeply, deeply impacted by COVID. So this was a huge bill that happened last week. Everyone will feel the impacts of what we've done through it. It may not be uh, perfect in every single way as every person you think that should get a check should get a check, but you know we had to do it within the parameters we had and we had a few issues on the Senate. But it is a big, big bill. And um, you know Bernie and a number of us in the Progressive Caucus had a call a couple days ago and you know we realized our challenge is just letting people understand the uh, amount of help that's in this bill and the amount of progressive policy that's in this bill it's significant dick in las vegas you're on the air with congressman pocan hi good morning congressman and tom hey, uh, congressman all of the children that are coming up from down south america and mexico um does the Congress acknowledge the fact that um, Catholic Church uh, missionaries are causing a lot of the problem um, by preaching, you know, um, no abortion, ab you know, not abstinence, no birth control, uh, and all of the problems that that causes? Uh, you know, the money that we're spending shouldn't... Uh, the religion, all of the religious leaders, be taking a bigger part in what's happened south of our border. Well, I, yes, they should be doing as, as big a part as they can. But we also realize that a lot of why we have people trying to come to the United States is because of issues in countries they're coming from. Um, it's not just poverty. It's actually, you know, people whose lives are at risk, uh, who um, have, are facing so many other uh, issues. We had this conversation this morning with Ron Klain um, and Ilhan Omar told her very personal story of, of coming into the country. And, you know, I, I think we have to realize it's not just you're going to blame the church or, or one or two entities. It's a lot of reasons, and a lot of reasons people want to also come to the United States. And, and ultimately, I think, you know, for the right reasons. But they are working on this. They understand that, you know, it's, it's not been as quick to change this because of the, the mess that they were left from the Trump administration. But they are very committed. And I think we got some very good commitments and good information this morning that make me feel um, that they absolutely are aware of what's going on. And we have a real plan and policy to do this uh, in a far more humane way than we saw for the last four years. Congressman, we just have 50 seconds to the break. Do you, it's not enough time to get a caller in, but I, I'm wondering if you think that comprehensive immigration reform, you know, the last time we really saw this in a big way was 1986. And, uh, and it did, it, you know, it, it did some good things. It also did some bad things, but um, it really needs to be updated. Is, is that on the radar screen for Congress? Um, yes. In fact, this week we have a couple bills around immigration reform that we're going to be sending to the Senate. Um, but in, again, in talking to the White House today, you know, I think they're, they're, they're trying to figure out exactly the best path on day 50, whatever day this is of the Biden administration. Is it through a number of smaller bills? Is it doing a big bill like we saw happen um, back when I first got in Congress, uh, you know, four, 
five sessions ago. Um, so I, I think that's what we're trying to figure out. But we are sending a couple important uh, pieces of legislation around immigration out of the House this week to the Senate. That's great. Jim in Long Beach, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks for listening to KPFK. I'd like to ask how COLA could be embedded in adopt, adopted with increased minimum wage so that the argument doesn't come up every <laughs> um, every so often, just uh, constantly raising minimum wage. Are you talking about Social Security COLA? No, I'm, talk, I'm talking about embedding the concept of COLA in the minimum wage. Index. Oh, a cost of living adjustment. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Congressman? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Jim. Um, so we actually have that in the bill that uh, would raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Um, uh, we would index it. That's the term that we use, uh, so that it would automatically have increases. So you're not relying on Congress, who exa- hasn't been exactly competent on this since 2009, when the last time we raised the minimum wage, uh, to keep up on it. And I think that's one of the most important provisions is that we have something like that in place so you don't have to rely on the politics of Congress to do the right thing and help people economically. So um, however this moves forward, because we saw what happened through reconciliation and we saw the amendment in the Senate, the good news is the White House uh, committed again this morning how committed they are, uh, both the president, the vice president, and their offices to moving forward and getting uh, minimum wage uh, done. But, you know, first of all, we have to get to 50 votes in the Senate, and then we're going to probably have to have conversations, whether it be about the filibuster or other paths, adding it to a must-pass piece of legislation so we can get this uh, done. There are going to probably be a few tweaks from the bill from what our conversation looks like, not terrible tweaks at all that I think we could help move things forward. Um, But I I do think indexing, as you point out, is one of the most important things because I don't want to rely on Congress to have to wait another 12 years to get their job done next time. John in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, good morning, uh, Congressman. My, my biggest issue is, you know, congressmen and senators are being threatened with their lives being taken, which there's a law on the books that the FBI is aware of. You know, if you threaten a congressman or a senator, there should be some action taken. And as long as these people are allowed to just keep going on, like Trump's got blood on his hands from Georgia because, you know, the Wuhan thing and the the flu. And, you know, until you start putting the FBI and, like, weeding out, there's good cops, bad cops, there's good FBI, bad FBI. But you got to get the traitors out of the uh, conversation and, you know, just put the, put the fire to the flame or whatever you call it, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, John. Yeah, John, I I hear what you're saying, and I think the good news is there is a very thorough FBI investigation going on on what happened January 6th, and I think that investigation goes into um, deeper than just who was involved on on January 6th, but I think it'll give us some more answers about what types of people were involved, what were some of the networks that they're operating from, so that we can make sure this never happens again. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump is the main reason he invited uh, thousands of people to come that day, and he then encouraged them to storm the Capitol, essentially, and to to say anything other than that is is ignoring reality. But what we're finding, interestingly, is that a lot of the folks that have been arrested also um, are really economically uh, hurting. And, you know, they somehow that's why they followed the cult leader, Donald Trump. And maybe this will help us address some issues that are issues that you and I might agree on more that need to happen. Cliff in Cleveland, Ohio, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I'm calling about the child tax credit. 
Uh, as a news junkie, I, I hear the spiel, I hear the you know, sales pitch, how, how, how it's going to be good for children and uplift children, but I know zero on the details. Can you please explain some of the details? Uh, one report said uh, money will be distributed uh, as early as July. Is, is there any truth to this? How is this going to work? And I'll take uh, any comments you have off the air. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you, Cliff. I, I don't know if I'm the best person to give you tax policy. I'm on appropriations, not ways and means, but I can give you the general gist of it. Yes, uh, hopefully as early as July. Yes, it's refundable, which is really important. But this is something that will help um, most families with children. Uh, again, there is uh, an economic means testing, so you can't be uh, too wealthy and you won't get the assistance. But it's probably one of the single um, best things to help provide uh, resources to, to children and families who are in poverty and of more modest needs. And uh, Rosa DeLauro, who is the chair of the Appropriations Committee, has fought for this alongside with others, but she's really been the main person who's fought for this for years and years and years. And it's only in for, for COVID right now. So this is something that hopefully if we see uh, what I think many of us know we're going to see from all the studies, that this will have a positive impact on uh, families affected, that, you know, this is something we want to fight to try to put in place forever because, um, you know, far too much of what government has become. Uh, I read a great piece Tom wrote recently uh, about finally trying to change uh, what we've been doing, the focus since Ronald Reagan, when there are many, many, many folks that planned this uh, anti-government kind of uh, stance that they've done. If we're finally able to start turning it, because people saw that government helped them through COVID and government's helping the economy get back, we can kind of get back to helping people like government always did and should in some of our best times. And there's no question that child tax credit helping families again uh, of more modest means uh, have additional assistance for their children economically um, is, is one of the top priorities. So uh, I, I would recommend you you Google it, uh, Cliff, to probably get whether or not you're impacted. But, uh, you know, I think most people um, will receive this credit by most. I mean, like you're talking I could be wrong, but I want to say something like 85% of people with children will probably see this uh, and be impacted by it. Jill in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman. I'm proud to be one of your constituents. I just retired you, from the, uh, the health cooperative here in Madison, and um, I am finding that um, getting on Medicare is really pretty complicated, and one of the questions that I want to ask is why don't we um, give an option to people on Medicare of having full coverage on Medicare rather than having to spend a lot of extra money on a supplement? Um, the supplement that I just uh, signed on to cost me more than Medicare does per month. So full coverage at a an increased rate, I think, would make a lot of sense and make it much, much easier for senior citizens when they retire. Can you comment on that? Yeah, Jill, you're completely right, and that's what we would like to do. In fact, today uh, we are reintroducing Medicare for All um, in Congress, and um, with expanded um, options that are important for uh, everything from uh, long-term excuse me, care to um, 
uh, a number of other areas that haven't been covered by this before. Uh, there's no question. I mean, we are literally the only industrialized nation that doesn't have universal health care. And uh, even PolitiFact, which, you know, sometimes gets it right, sometimes gets it wrong, acknowledge that, that, that we literally we are the only country that doesn't have universal health care. And, you know, I personally think a Medicare for all option is the best option. Um, if, if you had that, it wouldn't be as complicated to access Medicare. And you certainly wouldn't have to access a supplement, which I don't think you should have to, because that kind of defeats the purpose of having a strong uh, government program in place. And uh, you're, you're right. Our difficulty is I think it'll be introduced today with just over half of the Democrats in the House. And we have some work to do before it can actually pass, not just among Republicans, but even among Democrats. So our job is to make sure that more people are sponsors of the bill so that someday it can hit the floor and pass. Uh, and until then, we're going to do all the education around it we can. But what, what you point out is something that everyone uh, just about who gets Medicare is experiencing. And that alone should be a significant factor to help us get something bigger and better done. Congressman, we just have 30 seconds left. Is there going to be an effort to just do a standalone bill that says that we're going to do away with that 20% hole in Medicare so that uh, you can pay 20% more on your Medicare premium and get 100% coverage? Yeah, and you and I have had this conversation. I don't know yet if that's going to happen because we're still relatively early with bills being introduced, especially since our, our clock has been to get all the bills that we did last Congress done by April 1, as many of the big ones, because they didn't have to go back to committee so we could get things to the Senate to work on. Um, but I, I certainly think it's something that we should be talking about because, as Jill just pointed out, you and I have had the conversation. You know, it doesn't make sense that you have to go that route. We should have one program that works, and that should be Medicare. Yeah, amen. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Happy St. Patty's Day to my hopeful future senator. <laughs> no. Sorry, Margie. I'm not going to be able to help you on that one, but happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I think you'd make there that is a problem. There is a problem, a uh, group of essential workers who are finding it absolutely impossible to get COVID-19 vaccines. And those are the over-the-road truck drivers. We can't get schedules because get scheduled in because we never know where we're going to be. Uh, most places that they do the huge sites is for automobiles. They can't quite fit an 18-wheeler in those. And you have to be in the state, a resident of the state, where if you do find a place. The suggestion that has been coming up, and this is from both the major trucking associations and the truck stop associations, please set up J&J vaccination sites at the major truck stops. Margie, that's a great suggestion, and I can tell you this morning, talking to Ron Klain, um, this subject also came up, and uh, while, as you know, in Wisconsin, we're just opening it up now to people with, um, you know, uh, certain pre-existing conditions to get shots, by May 1, everyone should be eligible, and what they are working on is not just that, but every way to possibly make it easier for people to get vaccinated, even uh, to the point of uh, having community groups go door to door, it sounds like, um, in order to get people vaccinated. So they're so focused on this, and I'm so glad uh, after the last year of having no focus from the president's uh, administration now to have an administration that totally gets this. Um, I will pass on the suggestion you gave, Margie, because I think that's a good one, and that's what they're trying to figure out right now are those populations that we need to um, to be able to uh, hit that otherwise may get missed under the current scenarios. And I appreciate what you're saying, but fortunately, the Biden administration does appear to be on this. And that uh, J&J shot being a one one and you're done shot would be perfect for truck stops. I mean, that that's such a brilliant exactly. idea. Exactly. Uh, I think yeah. J&J, Tom, what you're saying is really important because for I've even talked to some people I know that are kind of Trumpy in their thinking who um, are willing to get the J&J shot. So if you know, it, it depends. They're all good. They all work very mm -hmm. well for people. So whatever works for people's particular condition or situation you should get it as long as you get vaccinated that's all i care about whether it's the one shot or the yep. two shot um, if we're going to get to the point that we have the so-called herd immunity we need everyone to participate right now to help us get there there you go rick in Irwin, tennessee you're on the air with representative pocan hi how you doing um good i was just i wanted to say something real quick before i answered this question but since we've had 40 years of these reaganomics it seems like these people with the companies and stuff like that ought to have enough hustle to get our money if you guys give us some you know if they have any kind of hustle at all it shouldn't be that hard to collect all the money that you guys pass out to us and give us some stuff back but what i wanted to call about is social security prices okay. on everything are going up and uh <clears throat> this eight hundred dollars a month ain't cutting it i was wondering if there's any plans for uh raising social security up at least maybe the bottom of it I hear what you're saying. There is a bill introduced. I, I should say, I think it's been introduced this year. I know it will be if it hasn't been by John Larson of Connecticut that would expand Social Security. And that would include, uh, we're going instead of to the way we currently increase Social Security with the consumer 
price index to the CPI-E, which is one that's based on expenses that seniors spend. So less maybe focused on gasoline prices, more focused on things like medicine, where we know 25% of uh, many seniors' income goes towards uh, medication. So it would give you a bigger boost. Also, just looking at how to you know preserve Social Security and provide that increase that it needs in the life that it needs, uh, it's easy to do. And John Larson has a bill to do that, and uh, many of us have, have supported it. In fact, I think he had well over 200 people last uh, caucus, Democrats all on the bill. So that's one of the things that many of us want to get done this Congress. Now, you know, we're going to have to work on the Senate like we're going to have to on everything of the 50-50 Senate. But you're right. uh, It's something we should do. It's something that we're trying to do in the House. And to your other point, you're exactly right. I mean, these companies want to make money for not working hard or not doing the right thing. Ninety major corporations shouldn't be paying no taxes um, in this country. That's illogical. Uh, We have to have a system that works for everyone. And now that people are going to get these checks, this is why we stimulate the economy from the grass. Grassroots up. People who get money uh, are going to put it into the economy, and that's going to help small business, and that's going to create more jobs. You give money to really, really rich people, you can only buy a couple really nice refrigerators. But if you've got a bunch of people buying a new refrigerator, you certainly stimulate the economy more. So um, you're right. Uh, We got the checks out. Now let's hope it works, and I think it will the way we intend. Kevin in Watsonville, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Mark, I have a serious question. I retired five years ago, and I'm going to be turning 65 here in May. And I've heard the rumors that they're going to privatize um, Medicare, and I'm really confounded whether I should stick with my good insurance that I have through my company or to go to uh, Medicare or Medicaid and then possibly uh, be sold a bill of goods that aren't too good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the part, Kevin, I can answer is there's, I don't think there's any chance we're going to be uh, changing Medicare in that way uh, under the Biden administration. So um, I, I, I you know, it's one of the most popular programs we have as a federal government. I don't think that's going to um, happen. Uh, certainly, many of us would like to make it better and make it open to more people, but I don't see that scenario happening. So the Trump administration changed the Medicare rules in the in the six months before they left so that there are going to be demonstration projects, in quotes, where they're going to identify certain parts of the United States and they're going to take all, those people on Medicare in those areas, on real Medicare, and shift them into, quote, managed care. In other words, put them into Medicare Advantage kind of programs and still call it Medicare and say, this is our new experiment. And it's a backdoor way of trying to basically convert all of Medicare into Medicare Advantage. Um, We did a show about this yesterday with Alex Lawson from Social Security Works. Uh, It's in the law now. And uh, do you, you have you heard about this from your colleagues? Are Democrats on board with getting getting rid of this? Yeah, I don't I don't see how the Biden administration would move forward with it, period, to be perfectly honest. From today we talked a little Medicare for all, uh, and healthcare in general as well with Ron Klain. And um, I, I would be absolutely the two directors of Social Security are still there from the Trump administration and they were the ones who put this in place. Yeah. No, I, I will check on it based on uh, the conversation, okay. but I think it's um, very unlikely the Biden administration would go that direction. Yeah, thank you. I agree with you, but uh, it's like this is this is a, a sneak attack, basically. Melissa, yeah, Winston Salem, North Carolina. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Yes, hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I just wanted to ask about um, the hate crimes against women. We just had this horrible um, episode in Atlanta, and we know that white nationalism uh, are all, white nationalists are also very misogynistic. Um, I've been wondering why we don't classify crimes against women like this as hate crimes and have stiffer penalties, because you get a stiffer penalty for hacking into a computer than you do for hacking into a woman's body, literally. So um, is there something we could do, like perhaps add this into the VAWA, Violence Against Women Act, that was, hasn't been reauthorized since Trump, and, and perhaps make it a hate crime like they're trying to do in England now? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's part of the bill. We're actually debating it today. Um, the VAWA bill. Uh, you're, you're very timely. The Violence Against Women Act uh, will be reauthorized uh, through the House. Either I believe the full vote is today, but it could be the uh, the final vote tomorrow because I know there were forty some amendments that were filed. Um, but you know that bill is is supposed to be helping us address this because we have entire legislation that's ha- previously been reauthorized. But as you mentioned, under Donald Trump, unfortunately, it didn't happen. I, I think it will happen through this House and Senate. It. Um, but I don't think there's anything specifically looking at making it a hate crime in the bill. And at this point, I doubt unless the Senate would add something that's going to happen. Is it time to tweak the existing hate crime legislation to add women? You know, it, it's it's a tough thing whenever we open these up. I'll, I'll tell you, when we tried to do the Equality Act, for example, um, we had some resistance from places you wouldn't expect, Tom. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, anytime you do anything with Congress, you know, to, to say that we move anything but sloth-like, uh, it doesn't happen very often. So um, yeah, I suppose it. we could look at it, but it's not as part of our today. Yeah, okay. Greg in Detroit, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I was just wondering, um, I had a couple things I just was wondering about. I was just wondering why it's never mentioned that um, we do have a right to health care in this country, but it's only in the emergency room. And um, we so we have a right to health care, but only at the most expensive uh, level there is, while we don't have a right uh, for it at our doctor. And I think that'd be a point that they could mention in the Medicare debate that why we only have this uh, right at the most expensive level. And um, I just said one other thing. Um, can, can the Democrats do something to get a couple easy wins under their belt, something like, you know, changing Medicare so that they can uh, bargain collectively for drug prices similar to the VA? I don't see where there would be any opposition to something like that or uh, declare uh, that voting day is a national holiday. Some easy wins so you can get some momentum building up in terms of people can see the accomplishments that, 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 that are being accomplished, you know, and, and see the progress. Thank you. Yeah, Greg, thanks uh, for your call. So first, um, you're right, it doesn't make sense to go to the most expensive place to deliver health care, which is all the more reason why uh, a system like Medicare for All would solve much of that, and that's part of what we'll be expressing today as it gets introduced. To the, the second um, uh, part of the question, I, you know, this is part of the, the problem, Tom, I mentioned, I think, at the beginning of the show, is the bill we just passed is probably the most significant bill passed in decades. Um, I think that's pretty safe for sure, the last decade, but decades that help people. And yet people don't know all what's in the American Rescue Plan. And I think part of what we have to do is express what we did. It's not just the check that they got, but it's all of the other measures. They're going to have serious impacts in people's lives and help us get over COVID. Um, and, and I think that's one of the challenges because we're getting a lot of things done in the House right now. We're sending to the Senate. I think the Senate will get a lot of these things done now that we have a 50-50 Senate. Um, 
On top of that list, though, is things like H.R. 1, election uh, law. We need to make sure that all these state legislatures trying to fight back against making it harder to vote. Uh, that's something, again, we have to get around the filibuster for, which brings us back to the conversation about dealing with that. Um, and then uh, Joe Biden has said he wants to allow people to buy into Medicare earlier. And I think there's some steps like that. And part of our conversation today, too, we're moving forward how we can get more health care that was maybe uh, part of the negotiated conversations post Joe Biden's primary, uh, the, I forgot what they called the commissions that the DNC convened into some of the legislation moving forward. So um, I think part of our job, again, Tom, just gets reiterated that we've got to really express what all was in that bill because um, it was a huge, huge win. And if people know how much got done, uh, they haven't seen this, like I said, in decades. Tyrone in Harlem, New York, here on the Earth Congress in Pocan. Thank you for taking my call. I didn't try to kind of answered what I was about to ask him about the um, other um, congressmen being involved with putting the information out about the bill that they passed because we don't put the contrast not as much for my for my liking about how we differ from saving the cities financially than um, the Grim Reaper saying let the cities go bankrupt and how much that affects how, you know, I think that's even bigger than the $1,400 because you got a lot of people that depend on their pensions. And we already had cities go bankrupt and stop paying the people's pension. And you were finding senior citizens dead in their house with no running lights, I mean, with no lights and no running water. So we have to put, I, I, I think that it's imperative that we put more of that information out as far as you said it's a big bill. And I hope that we're able to get more of the contrast between us and what the Republican Party want to do. Yeah, Tyrone, I completely agree with you. I mean, that's that's part of the challenge is, you know, there's things to help renters. There's things to help small businesses impacted that we never had before in any bill for restaurants and bars, uh, for um, some of the music and other venues, shuttered venues. Um, there's so much that's in this that, um, you know, if people just think it's checks, they may like their check, but they may not understand how much we actually did. And it shows how much we couldn't get done in the last year that would have helped our economy and helped people um, to not get COVID if we were only able to do it. Again, it only happened because we have Democrats now in charge of the House, the Senate, and the White House. But, uh, Tyrone, you're completely right, and I think that's the... The goal, and many of us after this week are going to be headed home for a few weeks, and I know that's one of the goals I have getting home is talking about it. Congressman, in our final 30 seconds, what should we be looking at and, uh, and being active on over the next week? Um, you know, the next big bill is going to be around infrastructure. And I think if you want to be heard on that, reach out to your members of the House and the Senate. You know, do you want it to be sustainable and have a green focus? Um, or do you want it to be bipartisan? Or can we do both? Um, I, I think we need to express that because one of the concerns is that people may be more focused on getting it to be bipartisan rather than using the big impact of it to help on things like climate change. And I would argue, uh, let's be big and sustainable and green as we're doing this as well. So if you want it to be big and bold, just call your members of Congress, say, be big, be bold, be green. Uh, that's what we want in the infrastructure bill. That will help us moving forward in the next month or two. And let's redefine bipartisan as meaning both parties, voters support it. To hell with the, with the yes. representatives in, in D.C., uh, respectfully. Absolutely. Okay, thank you, sir. 
You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.